Did not sound like you did not know that song. Yeah, it sounded good. All right. Well, we're starting a new message series this morning. I've called it Jambalaya. And if any of you have ever had Jambalaya, you can get a sense of what this series is going to be like. Jambalaya is a Cajun dish. It's rice, and you can kind of just throw in whatever protein you have, chicken or shrimp or uh, whatever kind of meat uh, that you have on hand, and it's usually different every time. I called this series uh, Jambalaya because the weather's hot and uh, in the summer, and the series is going to have a little of everything. It's actually an unseries series. Right, as I got thinking about summer and how you know people are here one week and then gone the next week on vacation, uh, it's kind of difficult for people to follow a series of sermons and be there every week. So I decided to do a series of standalone messages through the summer. And you know, when I'm reading the Bible, something will speak to me, and it might not necessarily fit in a series. Uh, but so I thought I could uh, use some of those messages that have come to me over the time over years. All right, so, but this week's message comes out of our annual conference uh, experience at the beginning of June. Most of you know that uh, Forrest and I have been on vacation a couple of weeks, and I, we really enjoyed that. I appreciate everybody that filled in while we were gone so that we could do that. Uh, but prior to that, we were at annual conference. And if you don't know what annual conference is, it, it's surprisingly what it sounds like. It's a conference that's held annually. <laughs> And um, pastors are required to go to it and bring one person from the church. We uh, hear reports, do legislation, vote on items that are going to be directing our ministry uh, into the future. And so it's a large gathering, about 2,000 people gathered this year. And it's four days of worship, meetings, voting on legislation, hearing reports, meetings, hearing reports, uh, meetings, and uh Here's me at the back uh, yawning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we did attend to some important uh, work this year. There are two significant pieces of legislation that we voted on. So I wanted Forrest to give you a little report on that because they affect uh, our churches. So go ahead, Forrest, and come and do that. Why are you going to stand over there? It's weird. In her message notes, she has Forrest report, and she had shh. Short, in all capital yes. letters, short. short. It needs to be short. Um, you all know, or some of you know, that in the United Methodist Church, we are currently in the West Michigan Conference, which is like the west half of the state of Michigan, excluding the Upper Peninsula. But we're in transition to joining together with the Detroit Annual Conference to become the Michigan Conference. We're putting two together to be one. Last year we met at Michigan State University and it was the Detroit Annual Conference met and West Michigan Conference met. We had a little time, a day and a half or so in between where we actually met together and did stuff together. So they did their business, we did our joint business, and we did our business. This year, for the first time, all 2,000 delegates came together and we were together for the whole time voting on some Michigan Conference stuff stuff, some West Michigan conference stuff, and some Detroit annual conference stuff. But most of our work was done as a united body to deal with the new Michigan conference. So some new things with the new Michigan conference. We have the same mission that we always had, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's still our mission. But they're going with a new vision. It's Christ-centered mission and ministry bold and effective leaders, 
and vibrant congregation. So their focus is going to be Christ-centered mission and ministry, bold and effective leaders, and vibrant congregations. So we're going to focus on our mission, our ministry, our leadership development, and our congregational development. And they're switching to a new model. It's called the director's model. And I think you probably all could figure out the director's model uses a lot of directors. They have directors of various different programs and administrative stuff, director of congregational ministry, director of clergy excellence, director of congregational vibrancy, director of communications, treasury, administrative services, human resources. They've got all these different directors that are in charge of administrative functions or uh, programming functions. And then you also have what you've had before, which is your district superintendent, which supervises a set of churches in their district. So the two main focus areas, one, of course, is the plan of organization. You've got two separate entities that are going to come together, and they're going to have to be able to function together. So a lot of the stuff was on this plan of organization with councils and boards and committees and who the representation on these committees are. So that was a big area where they had a dream team or a design team that pretty much rewrote all of the sort of like bylaws for the conferences, taking Detroit Annual Conference, West Michigan Conference, and aligning their language and combining to kind of limit the number of things we have and to bring them together as one. So ton of alignment stuff. It was basically just wording. The Detroit Annual Conference had it worded this way. West Michigan had it worded that way. And we're kind of mixing the wording together to make it make sense and be the same for both. Um, also, there were a lot of logistical concerns because the two conferences, both United Methodist, but they function in slightly different ways. Stuff like the incorporation of districts. Detroit Annual Conference, each district is its own incorporated entity. In West Michigan Conference, that's not so. So they had to deal with what are you going to what are you going to do with individual districts that are their own entities? We have to figure out a way to put them together so they're not incorporated anymore. Um, independent treasuries, each district in Detroit Annual Conference has its own treasury, where in West Michigan Conference, it's all run through the conference treasury. So we had to worry about that money issue, you know, how those things are. Um, different boards and commissions and stuff that, were, that had invested money in Detroit Annual Conference that, well, they're not going to have that anymore because the districts are all going to be part of one conference. So we had all those different pieces, a lot of administrative to deal with, a lot of votes, a lot of reports. Um, but the Dream Team has worked on that for two years to put all that stuff together. So it was pretty tight, and most of that stuff was voted just about unanimously. Then the other biggie is the nine district model. Currently, you, I don't know if you know, between the two conferences, there are 12 districts. We're in the Albion district. They're going to go with a nine district model, where instead of 12, we're downsizing to nine. Um, here's a sample map. These are not the district lines, but these are an idea of what it might look like. Okay, so they're dividing into nine districts to make it a little more streamlined and a little less top-heavy as far as uh, administrative functions. Um, for illustration purposes only, and you're looking around, some of the districts are smaller, some are bigger, right? Some cover a lot of area. I wanted to go over some of the, the rationale behind this. First, I'll tell you, all the district boundaries are going to be changed. 
So even though three districts, we're going to reduce by three districts. They're redrawing the lines of all of the districts. So there will be no districts that are, well, that's the same district as they had before. Okay? They're moving the lines of all of them. So all of them are going to be new. All the districts are going to be renamed. They're going to have a new name, new boundaries, new people, so that everybody kind of shares this challenge together. Uh, the bishop, in consultation with others, is going to draw the lines. It said the annual conference decides on how many districts, and the, uh, the bishop decides the boundaries of those districts. So he's going to be working with a large number of other people to try to figure out where those boundaries are. And the basis of where the boundaries are going to be, they're trying to balance out the amount of geographic area, which you can see sort of yes, sort of no, they're trying to balance out the number of churches, which we can't see on there, but of course in the UP, not surprisingly, they don't have quite as many churches or quite as many church people, okay, because a lot of smaller towns and stuff. So up north, you see some bigger districts. Down south, where there are bigger cities, you see smaller districts. So they're balancing out size of the district, the number of people, the number of churches, and the proximity to a central location. They're trying to build these all around hub communities. And a hub community, you can see right on there, of course, number seven, that would be Kalamazoo. Number four, that would be Grand Rapids. Number five, Lansing. And that's one of the reasons why Albion sort of is, uh, has been, uh, 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 whatever, what do I want to say? Um, brought into some other districts. Because if you think about hub communities, which you can read that as big cities, Albion District, Battle Creek, Marshall, Albion, Coldwater, Sturgis. Which one of those is a big city? None of them. Okay? So they're looking at hub communities, basically on interstate highways and stuff, so it's easier to get to those. Okay? So um, we continue to have district superintendents they continue to work. They're going to be working with a larger number of churches. But the directors at the conference level are going to be taking care of program functions. The district superintendent is going to be basically the minister to their churches. And so they're going to work with individual churches to carry out the mission that, and the vision of the new conference. But they're not going to have as many of the program responsibilities. Those are going to be taken care of by the directors. Okay, Clear as mud? It was to us, too, and we had a chance to read all that stuff ahead of time. So these are going to be taken care of by January 1st. They need to have this work of deciding the districts done quickly because in addition to selecting pastors for churches for the next year, they also have to select district superintendents for the districts. So they need to do this. They're probably working on it right now, and they'll have this done by January 1st. And as you can see where we are, see us right there? We could go into Kalamazoo, we could go into Ann Arbor area, we could go into Lansing area, okay? It's kind of a toss-up right now because we're one of those kind of in-between borderline kind of communities. So we'll wait and see what happens. And they are asking pastors and other leaders to offer suggestions. We really, really, really want to be in... There was a big question about that with that area number one that's just below the bridge. There was a lot of concern about are they north, are they south, whatever. Anyway, that's my short report. Okay. Which was longer than I intended, but I always <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. Okay, so there were other things that, that we dealt with, but that was, those were the primary ones that affect us. And as you can see, we're in one of those in-between times where we are um, waiting for this new thing to, to step into this new thing. And recognizing that, the bishop uh, asked Susan Beaumont uh, to come and be our keynote speaker and to talk with us about how to lead in times of transition. And the title of her talks throughout the week was Leading in a Liminal Season. Here's me in the back of the room <laughs> yawning again. <laughs> but uh, I confess I didn't know what liminal meant. I had heard of subliminal, you know, kind of get an idea of it from there. But as it turned out, her talks were actually uh, quite interesting and helpful. Not just for church leaders leading in a time of transition, but for every person Everyone knows what it feels like to be on the verge of something new, to be on the threshold of a new beginning, and yet not able to move into it yet. So for this first message in the Jambalaya series, I, I want to explore the, uh, what the Bible says about living in times of transition, those in-between times. And the word liminal is from the Latin word limen, which means uh, to a threshold, a cross piece, a sill, Everybody knows what a threshold is, right? Uh, how many guys carried your wife over to the threshold when you got married? All right, there's, it represents the, t the tube. Not anybody? None of you? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hands. Come on, wait, really? No, okay. Maybe it was like before us. I don't know. We've all heard of it, though, right? You're two people. He picks you up. He carries you across the threshold. You're going from being two to, to being one um, person, starting this new beginning, all right? So we all know what those thresholds are. They're the space between the outside and the inside, between um, what's beyond the doorway and what you're leaving behind, the space between an ending and a beginning. And I like the definition that we had in the conference materials describing this liminal space. It says a liminal space is a unique position where human beings hate to be, but where the biblical God is always leading them. Uh, it's when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. You know, we like what's comfortable and familiar. We want to be in control of where we go and what we do next. But when you look at scripture, we find Abraham waiting years for a promised son, Moses waiting in the backside of the desert for his assignment. The Israelites wandering in the desert until that rebellious generation passes away and they can move into the, the promised land, this new thing. David running for Saul, anointed as king, but hiding in caves until God's timing comes around. Peter and the disciples waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to be given. Paul waiting in prison. Uh, to either be released and plant more churches or to be fed to the lions. You know, it could go either way. It's all in God's hands. Liminal places are those places where we are out of our comfort zone, waiting for God to do what only God can do. And it's a place that is ripe with possibilities and yet uncomfortable at the same time. Since this is where God is leading folk in Scripture, and we've all experienced those in-between times ourselves, what can we learn about living wisely from Scripture so that we can come out on the other side of those things where God would have us to be? 
And as I just mentioned, there are numerous uh, stories in the Bible that we could look to to help us uh, get the answer to that. But I think one of the ones that's particularly fitting is Jesus' uh, disciples waiting between the time of his resurrection and waiting for the Holy Spirit to give, be given. It's found um, in the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And they've gone through this dark night of Jesus' death, right? And the pain and the grief of that and the, the waiting of Saturday. And then on Sunday, Jesus is raised to life again. And, and now uh, a whole new uh, horizon has opened for them. But they are having to wait. They wait 40 days for the Holy Spirit to be given. So here's the instructions Jesus gives them in Acts 1, 4 through 8. And he's appearing to them over a period of 40 days. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father's, the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him. Okay, so it's like they totally didn't hear what he just said. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So um, they're in this in-between time. And until God does something, they can't move forward into what Jesus has just, just described to them. And so what can we learn from them uh, and what they did while they waited? If you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at uh, the three things. The first thing they did and that, that we need to do in these in-between times is they did the work needed for that season. Do the work needed for the season that you're in. You know, when we find ourselves in these liminal or threshold seasons, um, it's because something has ended, right? And we've, been, we've had to leave something behind, and yet we're not ready to move into this new beginning. Uh, it's, it's that time after you graduate from high school and you figure out what you're supposed to be doing. I, we're watching our grandson, Jonah. He's like, uh, just not sure. He wants to go to college, what he wants to do. It's that, the in-between time. It's the time between when you have an idea for a new business or a new ministry, but you don't have the resources yet or, or the, uh, have, a, have the opportunity for that to, to start. It's the time between retirement and glory, right? You know, you're retired from this one job. Now, now what do I do? And, and so it's a time of waiting, but there's work to be done during that time. And it's unwise to step into something new until you've done the work that's needed for that season. Uh, I was doing some research on thresholds this week, and I came across this article, um, Why Walking Through Doorways Makes You Forget. All right? And I had to read that. <laughs> Okay, I, I read it, and I tell you, it was a little bit encouraging. It had my attention. Ha, have you ever went uh, from one room into another room? You're going to do something or call someone, and you get into the other room, and you just stare blankly, baffled totally. You know you're here for a purpose. You had something you came into this room to do, but you cannot remember what it was. Anybody? 
Yes. It's the doorway's fault, okay? <laughs> I was so glad to hear that because I can't think of the number of times I've been in the lobby. I think of something I need to put on the computer or put on my stand or talk to somebody about it. Come through that doorway and it's gone. I can't, can't remember it. But anyway, this, they did this research on memory. And so they uh, put together this like computer game where the person would sit down and they're uh, like an avatar or you know, a person playing this game. And they're supposed to pick up an object on a desk and it, it disappears into like an invisible backpack or something. They, they take it either to a desk in the same room or to a desk the same distance away but through a doorway. And so as they did this research, they discovered that when they're asked um, if they can remember what color the item was, the, the consistency of remembering it when they have it in the same room was pretty strong. But if they carried it through a doorway and put it on a desk in another room, um, it, the, the number of times that they could remember or recall what was in their backpack re was reduced significantly. And they did this both in a computer game and in actual people picking up items, putting them in a backpack, taking them to another room. And sometimes it was a desk in the same room, sometimes in the other room. And um, they discovered that their memory was far worse. They were more likely to forget when they had to carry it through a doorway. Our, our brains are wired to keep information ready at hand until the shelf life expires on it. Uh, and then it's kind of purged uh, in favor of new stuff. So when you walk through that door, uh, your brain is processing, and it, it throws away the things that seem trivial and in, insignificant, because now there's a whole new uh, room of things to, to process and to think about. I found it very interesting. I, it, it was an interesting article. I, I, I regretted it had nothing to do with this message. <laughs> Well, great stuff. Very. <laughs> but wait a minute. <laughs> Have you ever known anyone who um, goes through a divorce and then within a few months or a year they marry somebody else and they have the same problems, same issues uh, that they had before and they end up divorcing again? It's because they forgot what baggage they were bringing. They went through a doorway into something new before they had dealt with uh, the problems that caused them to be where they were, and they carried the same baggage into that new experience. Or somebody who loses a job, and, and they don't deal with the stuff that caused them to lose the job in the first place, and they go into the new job, and they uh, have the same work habits or whatever that got them fired the first time. And they end up having to go back to the room and deal with the stuff in the backpack that they had carried into the room without realizing it. You know, we need to pay attention to the work of the season. So let's look quickly at some of the work that you need to do in times of transition. The first is grieve losses, all right? When you're in an in-between time, it's because something has come to an end, and often um, there are losses associated with in-between times. Maybe a relationship has ended, uh, a spouse has died, 
or uh, you've, you know, a meaningful work that you've had for years and years, the company closes or something, and now here you are in this in-between time. You don't know what God has for you next. Before you move on to the next uh, season, it's important to grieve what's left behind. Then the second thing is to identify what is and what can be. Uh, take time to assess, you know, to remember who you are as a child of God, to, to remember what your core values are that are going to lead you in a right direction in the next season, uh, to think about what are the habits and the, the um, behaviors and attitudes that have served me well in the past that I want to take into the new season? What are those things that have not been so helpful in the past? Then the third thing is to pray and discern what God has for you in the next season. Uh, For Jesus' disciples, they spent that time praying, meeting together, and um, there there was a lot of prayer and discernment of what God would have uh, them do. And one of the thing, one of the pieces of work that they did was they um, selected a new uh, apostle, right, to replace Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. So in that time, they were doing the work of that season, uh, but they had to wait before they could move into the next season until God was ready to give them the Spirit, Holy Spirit. All right. So those are the th- some of the work that you might be doing. Then number two. Invite a new beginning, but don't force its arrival. So you're praying, asking God to open a new door for you, to, to help you see what he has for you next, but don't force its arrival. Um, you know, we don't like those in-between places. They're uncomfortable, so we want to get going, and we want to do something that uh, helps move us into the next thing, get on with life. But I like what the speaker of the conference said about this. She said, Liminal seasons cannot be powered through. They must be attended to. You, you can't power through a time of waiting. You have to, but you can attend to your soul, attend to the things that need to be done. And I think the best advice for those kinds of seasons is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Right? You're waiting on God. Be still and know that he's going to be God, that he is God. And if you move forward before you've got God's go-ahead, you can miss out on what God has in mind for you. So in a season of waiting, invite God to do a new thing. Pray for God opportunities, but don't be anxious and move until you've heard from God. And then the third thing is to recognize when it is time to move into God's new thing. God is going to bring you into a new place, okay? If, If there's somebody here that's in one of those Uh, In between threshold places, uh, God is going to do something. He's going to move you into a new place in his time. So how do we recognize when it's time? As you look at Jesus' uh, disciples' story, there's three indicators that they were ready and that it was time to move forward. The first is purpose. Uh, Do you have a sense of purpose, what you're supposed to be doing next? Jesus told his disciples you will be my witnesses. That, that was going to be their new purpose in, in uh, that new time. And when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, what do we see Peter doing? He's witnessing to the resurrection, right? He starts right out. He has a purpose. And God has a purpose for you in every season of your life, in every place that you are, whether it's your workplace, at home, at the soccer field, there's a purpose. And you'll know when it's time to move into a new season 
when you have a clear sense of God's purpose for you in that new place, in that new season. Then the second indicator is when God gives you a picture and a plan. Right, so Jesus' disciples had this picture, this, this good news about Jesus being raised from the dead, new life that's available through Jesus Christ was going to go viral. I mean, it was going to go to the ends of the earth, right? That's the picture Jesus was giving them. But then he also gave them a plan. You're going to start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And God will open your eyes, give you a vision, a picture of what's on the other side of the threshold, and a plan for what to do when you get there. And, and you don't have to know all the plan all the way out you know, to the end, but when God gives you the first steps and, and you're clear about it, what your purpose is, um, then that's a great indicator that you're getting, God is getting ready to move you into this new thing. But then wait for the last essential, and that's power from on high. You know, the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit's enabling for his power. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they knew it's time. Now we're, now we're on mission. Now we're ready to go on this new adventure. And they were sent out on God's mission. And when it's time for you to start the new thing that God has called you to, he will enable you to do it. He'll give you the courage to step into it. You'll just know that it's time because you have the faith and the ability and the power to, to, to step into it. Ephesians 3.20 promises that God is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You know, we're all in a, a liminal or a threshold or an in-between place in some area of our lives uh, right now. And some of those places are more painful than others. They take longer to work through. Some seasons take more patience and faith to continue to trust God um, through. And it can feel like God is never going to move us into the next thing, that we're never going to get through this mess, that the job is never going to open up, we're never going to prosper our ministry. That, But God is working. And because God is good, we can know that his plans for us are good. And the key is waiting waiting till we have heard, waiting till God's timing comes, and leaning on his, process, his promises in the process. Uh, and I want to close with a great promise that if you haven't memorized it yet, I would encourage you to, to do. This is a great promise for times of uncertainty. It's our memory verse, so let's read it together as we close. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that we have a history with you, that you have brought us through seasons of change and transition in the past, and that you promised to be with us um, as we go through these in-between times um, right now, whether it's as a church, as a denomination, uh, or in our individual personal lives, God, we, we know that you're God, and we look to you, uh, we lean into your promises, and we ask, I ask God for every person here, if there's somebody that is really uh, hurting, waiting for you to open a door for them, 
that you'll give them the courage to, to know when you're moving in their life. You'll give them the wisdom to see it. And I do pray, God, that you'll bring them into the next season full of joy and that you'll be at work in their life in the meantime to help them to do the work of this season. Thank you, God, for this church, and we pray that you'll be with us in uh, this time of transition as a conference, and you'll draw the lines about where we end up, and everything, every detail will be in your hands. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.